You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Violations, like Saul's, show the direction of our lives. Whether we are going to respond in the flesh or whether or not we are going to respond in the spirit. God to him, that is to Saul, had become some mysterious force to be placated before it could be used. Sacrifices had to be offered to ensure success. You know, how human-like, right? We barter with God. God, I'll do this if you do that, right? How do you interact with God? Do you seek His approval and blessing by doing certain good deeds or avoiding certain bad behaviors? That's religion. Or is it in relationship? Where you acknowledge that He's a loving and gracious Father who already did everything necessary to save you and provide for you. As Pastor Mike will point out in today's message, Saul, Israel's first king, fell back on religion, trading God's agenda for his own when things weren't going the way he thought they should. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13 as he continues his message, The Test of Priorities. did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. Yeah, he felt compelled. Again, yielding to the fleshly desires, right? Disobedient to God. And he took it upon himself, and he offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever if you would have just simply obeyed. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Remember what the series, the title of the series is all about, right? a man or a woman after God's own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Who is he referring to here, by the way? David, right? Who is going to uh, take Saul's place, and we'll see that in one of our future studies, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So, God was seeking for a man after his own heart. You see, Saul was a man after Israel's heart. He was all about image. Saul was all about prestige. 
He was all about the things that men look to. Anyway, verse 15, Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him, about uh, 600 in all. Okay, so as we consider the test of Saul's priorities, remember this is the test of our priorities, it becomes apparent that over the past few years, since Saul had become king, he had become conditioned to think in terms of externals, not the way that he thought at the beginning when the Spirit of God had come upon him. His attitude was now typical of a man who was motivated by the flesh. Begrudgingly, he gave deference to Samuel when finally Samuel shows up, but he only saw things through the lenses of his own experience. And according to our text, again, it is inferred, Saul was instructed to wait, but his obedience was tested daily as he saw the ranks of his army thinned by deserters. Okay, so we're faced with a problem, and we're instructed in the Word of God to just wait on the Lord, to trust on the Lord. But what do we do? We take matters into our own hands, and sometimes that involves our being disobedient. And by the seventh day, the situation became too much for Saul to be able to bear. And probably Saul was thinking, well, you know, if all else fails, at, as a last resort, at least I'll be able to, when the Philistines come, I'll be able to retreat to the mountains, but I might not have that ability, because soon that might be cut off from us. He was probably also thinking, so Samuel hasn't arrived, so maybe Samuel had been captured. Maybe even Samuel had been uh, killed. So he's not going to wait. Further delay, he was thinking, might be too dangerous. So anyway, according to our text, on the seventh day, probably at the time of the morning sacrifice, driven now by fear rather than trust and faith in God, he instructs the priest to bring him the burnt offering and the peace offering. So again, Saul, we are told, offered the burnt offering. And this was plainly sinful. First, he was guilty on two different accounts. First, he disobeyed Samuel's, what Samuel told him to do. And then secondly, he was a king. He was not a priest. And only the priests were to offer the sacrifices. You see, Saul had no business doing what only a priest should uh, do. But listen, the real reason for this discontinuance of his dynasty, remember uh, Samuel had told him that he was going to be replaced by another, that other was going to be someone, David, a man after God's own heart. So the real reason for the discontinuance of his dynasty was that he yielded to the prompting of his flesh and did not do all the prophet had commanded him to do. Listen. Let's think about this now. Let's again bring this down to personal terms. All of us regularly, unfortunately, faced testings of all kinds of different kinds. And in and of themselves, they might not seem significant. They might seem little kinds of testings. But listen, the Lord, however, 
requires of us obedience to his word. And small deviations, violations like Saul's, show the direction of our lives. Whether we are going to respond in the flesh or whether or not we are going to respond in the spirit. God to him, that is to Saul, had become some mysterious force to be placated before it could be used. Sacrifices had to be offered to ensure success. You know, how human-like, right? We barter with God. God, I'll do this if you do that, right? We, we sort of try to make some kind of an arrangement with the Lord. God, I will do this if you do that. We're trying to get God to do something for us, and we make all of these arrangements, unnecessary arrangements. And the reason being was that Saul was lacking a strong internal God consciousness. Let me ask you this question. Do you lack a strong internal God consciousness? It'll cause you to fear. It'll cause you to do all of the wrong things, make all of the wrong choices and decisions. It'll cause you to yield to your flesh and your fleshly desires. And so he was lacking that strong internal God consciousness to give him that stability in the face of a severe crisis. Well, anyway, as the burnt offering had just been sacrificed, which, by the way, symbolized dedication of the people unto God. That's what that burnt offering represented, that the people were dedicated unto God. Samuel arrives, uh, arrives now in the camp, according to verse 10. Saul went out to greet him cordially, but the king, Saul, wasn't prepared for Samuel's stern words of denunciation. What does he tell him? Verse 13. You have done foolishly. You have failed an important test. And once again, remember Saul's appointment as king, his continuance in his office was conditioned upon his unquestioned obedience to the Lord. He failed to trust the covenant-keeping God of Israel. He put his trust in his own abilities, his own prudence, his own wisdom that is in his flesh. And so Samuel asks the question, what have you done? Which in that statement is a testament to Saul's weakness. I wonder, you know, what we would say to you in your particular situation. I wonder what God would say to you. You know, Mike, what have you done? And once again, that would be a testimony to your weakness, to my weakness as well. And I wonder how many people today are exactly like Saul, who have a form of godliness, but are unaware of its real power, who rationalize their actions in spite of the clear teaching of God's Word, who spend time in ritualistic observances, but know nothing of genuine obedience, who only turn to God in times of crises, trying to harness His power on their behalf. Okay, let's go back to our text and pick up now in verse 15. Verses 15 through 18. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Saul, Jonathan his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Mishmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies, 
one company turned uh, onto the road to Oprah, to the land of Shoal. Another company turned to the road to Beth Haran. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboam uh, toward the wilderness. Okay, so these three companies uh, go out and they begin to attack Israel. Okay, so what happened? Well, where peace offerings, let me ask you this question. What happened here? And I'm reading now into the text, but uh, I want you to ask yourself the question, you know, just picture what's going on here. What do you think happened at this uh, point? What happened? Were peace offerings ever made? And remember, Samuel, Samuel was now there. So, and they were going to engage their enemies, the Philistines. So did Samuel, which was his original intention, remember to offer up these various offerings so that the people, God's people, Israel, would be prepared spiritually to go forth and engage the Philistines in battle. So what happened next? After uh, he had told uh, Saul that he had done foolishly, what did Samuel do? And again, we're not given the exact uh, details of what Samuel uh, did, so I'm actually reading into the text here. But again, we should ask the question, as we read this, were peace offerings ever made? Did Samuel offer the appropriate sin offering on Saul's behalf? Remember, Saul had just sinned. And had Saul shown true signs of repentance? Was Samuel praying for Saul as this conflict was about to ensue? Well, the answer to all of those questions is we really don't know. Well, anyway, Saul, we are told, went to uh, Gibeah and made that city his base of operations. But Saul is shut down and he remains indecisive there. And the Philistines, according to our text, sent out three raiding parties and plundered and pillaged those areas, according to verses 17 and 18. Okay, let's go back to our text now and pick up in verses 19 through 22. Now, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears, that is, implements of warfare, swords, shields, spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And all of these are instruments that were used for farming and tending to Israel's livestock. And the charge for a sharpening was a pim. Now, a pim was a medium of exchange, and this was a medium of exchange, exchange before uh, the Roman shekel was actually introduced. And this is what they would use uh, to sharpen these various instruments, the axes and such, and to set the points of the goats. And then in verse 21, and the charge for a sharpening was a pin uh, for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. And so it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people of Israel, 
So they had no instrument, they had no swords, they had no spears, they had no shield, they had nothing to go out to battle against the Philistines who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. So only Saul and Jonathan had any implements of uh, war. So, okay, so these raiding parties found Israel, according to this text of Scripture, absolutely defenseless. They had no weapons. Notice, the Philistines were very smart. They carefully guarded their military technology, you know, to make the swords, to make the shields, to make the spears. Uh, so the Philistines were very careful in guarding their military technology. And the reason being was that they, through this, they kept Israel in a subservient uh, place. The only exceptions were Saul and Jonathan, but they were to the south of Mishmash, and no resistance was offered from Saul's base camp in Gibeah. The Philistines had not permitted their ironsmiths to operate within Israel's borders, lest the Israelites learn the science of iron smelting, which was necessary to make those implements of war. This made God's people dependent upon their neighbors, even for repairing their agricultural tools. So, what have we here is a very perilous, impossible position for Israel. It's an army that's poorly equipped. They're outnumbered and lacking in morale. But the solution was readily available. And what was that solution? Listen, all Saul had to do was set matters right with the Lord. And let me also add this to the mix, something to think about. Whatever's going on in your own personal life, and maybe up until this point, whether you, whatever you're facing with, uh, facing in your life's experience, temptation, sin, some reoccurring sin within your life, up until this point you've been, able to, you've been unable to overcome that sin. It seems like time and time again you continue to fall into the same uh, temptation. You haven't been able to get the victory. Hey, listen, it's never too late to make your appeal unto the Lord, to cry out to God for help. He's always ready and willing to help. You can always be sure of that. So the solution was readily available to Saul and all of Israel. All he had to do was set matters right with the Lord. How? By once again submitting to God's will and God's word. He could have enjoyed a new sense of God's acceptance. So, is that something that's missing within your life right now? Because of the wrong choices that you have made? You know, this is something just between you and the Lord. You know that somehow, because of what you've chosen to do, you don't feel the presence of God any longer within your life. It's no longer the, the experience that you once had with the Lord, that assurance that God is with you, that God is going before you, that all things are working together for good, right? Because you've failed. You've departed from your relationship with the, the Lord. You've allowed sin to creep into your life. Hey, listen, it's only one step back. Listen, Saul could have instilled faith and confidence and courage in the hearts of his men, and the victory could have been his. The victory could have went his way. But unfortunately, the victory went to a 
another. And so, may, and so maybe you too are presently finding yourself in a perilous, impossible, desperate situation. Maybe sin and temptation has gotten the better of you. You're finding yourself right now slipping. You feel ill-equipped to fight, even as Israel was found ill-equipped to fight against the Philistines. What do you need to do? Well, simply, you need to set matters right with God. How? By simply submitting yourself to His will and His word. And what is His will? And what is His word? Simply, it is Jesus. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, this is God's will, this is God's word. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke was a steering device. In other words, God is saying, Get out of the driver's seat. Let me control your life and the direction and the course of your life. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from your sin, from your temptation, from your burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your uh, soul. So what do we need to do? Well, once again, we need to submit ourselves to the will of God and the Word of God, who is Jesus. And listen, as you come to Jesus, you will enjoy a new sense of God's acceptance, His presence within your life, and you too will experience a new confidence as you continue once again to walk with the Lord. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, I, I pray for any that are here in our facility or watching online, if for whatever reason they've departed from that relationship that they once had with, with you, that closeness in their walk with you, the, the sense of your and consciousness of that presence within their lives, that assurance that all things are working together for good. Lord, draw them once again back unto your self. God, help them to take that one step. Even as the prodigal son came once again to his senses and returned home to the Father, we pray that you would give us grace and strength to be able to return to our Father, our Heavenly Father. God, we thank you, Lord, that we have that opportunity. God, that you provide that opportunity uh, for us. That we haven't been abandoned. That you haven't written us off. That it's only one step back. And Lord, you will we'll find you on that road, willing and ready to restore us, to complete sonship. Father, we thank you. God, help us to be able to do that. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. If you've missed any part of this message, you'll find it online at harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Venezio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. 
As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can connect with us. We want to hear from you. If you've been listening for months or even the first time today, let us know. Have you been blessed by a teaching here on In My Father's House? Have you been able to share what you've learned with someone else? We want to hear your story. It's such an encouragement and brings us great joy to know how this program is blessing our listeners. So please, let us know you've been tuning in. You can send us a message right from our website. Just go to harvestnyc.org and click on Contact. You'll find a form to fill out and we'll connect with you as soon as possible. You can also let us know you've been listening by sending an email to harvestnyc at verizon.net. Please feel free to share your prayer request too. We'd be honored to join you in seeking God's direction in your life. Again, just email harvestnyc at verizon.net. If you're listening to our broadcast and aren't in the Manhattan area, We'd like to invite you to join our weekly worship services live on our website. We stream our gatherings on Thursday at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more and connect at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. Join Pastor Mike next time for another edition of In My Father's House. Oh,